welcome back to the Becoming Fully Human podcast. I'm Cam. Um, It's been a minute since my last episode. I kind of pumped him out uh, regularly at first, about once a week. I think it's been a few weeks now. Um, I've just been living my life. Been meditating a lot more having a pretty regular practice at the moment, which has been super nice. Um, It's also come very naturally, which I think is important when it comes to all things in life, is to not force habits that we think we should be doing and instead um, pick them up when they feel authentic. And yeah, I've been inspired lately by somebody in my life to focus on my practice and it feels really good to be doing that again. The flip side of that is I become painfully aware about social media and the impact that all these types of modalities can have in draining um, life force, prana, chi, whatever you want to call it. It takes a lot um, to continuously put content, I hate that word, but it is essentially content out there. Um, it, it takes up not only time, but yeah, your, your, your life force energy and combination of the meditation and some of the books that I've been reading have made me realize um, that I have to find balance in in those two worlds the real world and the online world even though technically neither of those are really all that real Um, but yeah today feels right to record so here I am Um, I think it's a useful lesson really for all people to understand what it is to relax it's something that i am reading about at the moment actually in osho's book tantra but it's something that i understood from experience like very viscerally a few years ago when i first uh, had my first experience with vertigo so vertigo is a illness i guess it's something you experience where everything feels very dizzy and yeah it's something like scientifically they link it to crystals in your ears and lack of this or that or balance and like some people can get their head kind of like whipped back and it balances out the crystals in your ears and gives you your balance back but anyways my experience with that was um, pretty profound I woke up one morning I was in Toronto at the time at my parents house I was doing um, I was working on my master's in holistic reproductive health I was a nanny I was writing freelance that my career just started so I was offered my first pretty big project writing and I was exercising in a very masculine way every day lifting heavy weights I was doing too much basically and as soon as I got vertigo it was a bit of a panic because it really slows you the fuck down. You can't do anything. Um, I immediately tried to fix it. <laughs> There's a clinic in Toronto, like vertigo specialists, and I barely made my way there. Super dizzy. Got the diagnosis, like all the, the specific type of vertigo that it was. Can't remember it. Um and the exercises that would help uh, give me my like focus back basically but when I got home from that session it felt intuitively wrong like there was a missing piece because uh, at that point it was a few years ago but I was already quite deep into this holistic way of of living and knowing or at least feeling believing for me that everything has roots in the psychosomatic I didn't believe that you know this thing just happened to me out of nowhere 
and that all I had to do was these exercises to get back like it just it didn't feel true so I sat with myself for a bit and and asked for clarity I think it's one of the most powerful things you can do is meditate on clarity because we have all the answers inside of us Um, there's just so much noise and distraction that we forget anyways um, I quieted my mind a little bit and asked myself well what's what's happening like where is this coming from what's going on and it was so clear that I was doing too much and that my psyche couldn't actually focus in the outside world like I couldn't see straight because I was doing so many things and so I knew I had to start saying no to things Um, I actually left my master's. I quit nannying as well and focused on writing. Um, Super difficult decision. All things I was quite passionate about and loving. But I knew deep down that by trying to fix my vertigo, I was doing the very thing that caused it. So I was doing as opposed to just being and observing and navigating life um, from a more feminine place, really. That's actually something I've been delving really deep into in this year, is honoring the feminine, which is a rabbit hole. So I'll probably save that for um, another time. But yeah. All that to say is I haven't released a podcast um, in a few weeks and I think it's important not to tie ourselves to schedules or too many deadlines or take on too many things because we don't know how to relax anymore in this society. You know, our, our type of relaxing is to get a massage or to unwind watching television or to go dancing or even go for a run like those are all doing it's still doing it's not being it's not relaxing if you're doing something to relax you're not relaxing um at least that's the way I see it in this moment and so I've been honoring my feminine more and it's completely transformed my world it's it's actually pretty unbelievable the types of things people situation that I've attracted since then and the degree of self-awareness that's come up um yeah okay wow long ass intro anyways um today we're gonna do a Q&A um so let's just get right to it so question one is what is the best kind of meditation so I've definitely been more open recently that I've gone back into my own practice and so I guess it's a pretty relevant question the word best is not useful really when it comes to anything um, because that's like saying what's the best kind of diet or what's the best way to exercise Um, the reality is that everyone has a different capacity when it comes to mindfulness, meditation, and healing in general, really. So for someone who's never meditated, um, perhaps a 15-minute guided meditation is the only way that you can actually realistically commit to a practice, and that's totally amazing. In time, my suspicion is that you will evolve past that, Um but you have to meet yourself where you are in this moment because if you have these lofty goals of going from zero to 100 and never having meditated to meditating like two hours a day um, odds of you maintaining that practice are slim at which point you lose completely it's kind of like um yeah diet or exercise diet i can relate to definitely because to me, intuitive eating is and should be the goal when it comes to nourishing yourself because we're so bio-individual and our needs are so different and our needs are always evolving even from moment to moment within our own bodies. But 
reaching a place of intuitive trust when it comes to the food that you give your body you can't go from having no awareness of nutrition to being an intuitive eater um so my own experience with eating there were times where i needed to understand calories and i thought that counting calories was important and then I evolved past that to macronutrients and thinking that finding the perfect balance of fat, protein, and carbohydrates was the answer. And then I started following various different, I guess, fitness influencers at the time who were sharing their exact diet. And I thought, if I do exactly what this person does, I'm going to get the same results. Which, of course, is not true. Um... But every step of that journey played a role in me getting little pieces of the puzzle. And often to see the whole thing, we need those micro, we need to zoom in and really focus on little aspects at a time. And then as we collect those little aspects, we can take steps back and finally see the bigger picture. And diet, I mean, even dietary dogmas like gluten-free and these big blanket ways that people are promoting to eat it it all plays a role in understanding yourself but ultimately it's important to evolve past them and so with meditation it's no different um where are you right now what resonates with you i think that's probably the biggest thing that you can um, do to tell what type of meditation is right for you right now is what appeals to you um if guided meditation appeals to you, find an app or find um, a YouTube clip that you like and start there. I think ultimately, um, attachment to material inputs when it comes to meditation will drop off as you evolve. Um, maybe not in this lifetime, but if the goal of meditation is to see past the duality of the material world. Um, I think in- including too many inputs, be it noise or even mantras or visual- visualizations. Wow, that's a mouthful. Um, or even comfort, like even making yourself too comfortable while you meditate. Like all these different things that we do to enhance our practice at the end of the day I think we'll slowly start to drop off Um, personally the kind of meditation that I'm doing um, so although I warned you to like take baby steps I did not do that Um, I had never meditated in my life as far as I can remember this was many years ago now I think 2016 I, oh, maybe 2015, I took my first Vipassana meditation retreat, which is a 10-day silent meditation retreat. They have them all over the world. They're all the same. Um, They're led by Goenka, and he's dead now, but they're videos, video recordings that teach the practice. And for those 10 days, you meditate for about 10 or 11 hours a day um, under the method, like under the guidance of his video recordings and audio recordings. Um, I had it in my head at the time. I was like, look, if I'm going to learn to surf, I'm going to go do a surf camp and just learn how to do it. And then I'll go do my own thing. So I thought if I'm going to learn to meditate, I'm going to go do, I'm going to like dive in and do the big thing and learn. And with stuff like Vipassana, I guess any type of meditation or any even experience that is pretty profound like that, you know, be it a meditation retreat or an ayahuasca experience. I think that these experiences call us. And so if you feel called to do that, do it. Um, Personally, I had a very difficult time maintaining a practice uh, outside of the retreats because they were pretty hefty in time requirements they recommend two hours a day minimum and I still had a lot of resistance to stillness um, because I had a lot of aspects of my life that I hadn't uh, explored and healed from so 
I've done two Vipassana retreats now and it's only since I've actively done shadow work, inner child healing work, um, all that kind of stuff, really explored my subconscious and done neuroplasticity work and worked really deeply with a kinesiologist friend of mine too, that I finally feel ready and clear enough to actually commit to a more regular practice. So I'm doing an hour most mornings um, at the moment and I won't get too deep into the the type of practice because again I just don't think it's all that useful. Um, Kind of combining vipassana, doing some pranayama and doing some yoga too. Um, Yeah. So I think finding what works for you is the most important thing and then not marrying yourself to any one technique because odds are you'll probably evolve past it. Um, Vipassana feels feels very pure to me. I really love that it's passed down uh, free and openly to anyone. So it's very accessible no matter where you are in the world and no matter what your financial means are. Um, many practices are passed down through a guru and others are very um, limited financially like TM having to pay thousands of dollars for your mantra I think at the end of the day um, it probably appeals to a more materialistic person who feels like they need to buy their mantra Um, I don't see it that way at all Um, but whatever floats your boat so yeah hey so this is gonna feel a bit weird um, because technically you're listening directly after the last question that I just answered Um, but I'm actually recording about 10 days later than when I recorded that first question on meditation Um, I got distracted the day that I recorded that and then I blinked and 10 days went by and I actually feel like a completely new person since then, which is kind of trippy. I think that's been happening a lot this year. I've been experiencing a lot of change. Um, I guess I've been unpeeling layers of my proverbial onion and trying to shed a lot of the beliefs that I'm holding on to and the stories that I'm holding on to that aren't serving me anymore. And so, yeah, the past week-ish have been pretty illuminating for me. And I've actually increased my meditation to two hours a day. Um, I'm sitting morning and evening at the moment for an hour each. And It's kind of blowing my mind because I know I've been trying to, I've had the awareness that that degree of practice is somewhat of a goal or at least it's quite valued in the Vipassana community and different types of meditation as well, Um, the Kriya community. There's generally two hours is said to be a good amount of time and In the past, that was just so unfathomable to me. Um, It felt like so long. And I guess it is long, even though time is a human construct. Um, But at the moment, it feels very natural and it feels so right. And so if you're out there and 10 minutes a day seems like a struggle, I feel you. Trust me, I understand. And... In continuation of the last question, I think all you can ask of yourself is to be honest about what feels natural and loose and to stay in that place, not to force anything onto you that doesn't feel right right now because it's the antithesis of meditation. You want to observe what is and honor that. To me, where I'm at right now, and more than ever, I'm so painfully aware that what you're hearing is just a snapshot in time of what's going through my head and I'm evolving so much 
not only year to year, but month to month and day to day and moment to moment that it almost seems silly to put anything down either in writing or audio recording because I'm gonna listen uh probably not gonna listen to this next month but may not even agree with it anymore so take everything I say with like 20 grains of salt and as always if it resonates run with it and if it doesn't let it go um let's move on to the next question Okay, so the question is, I'm ready for growth. What's the best way to go about it? Um, I do talk about growth and or healing a lot. And where I'm at now, I'm realizing that it's not so much growth in like the trajectory of going somewhere it's actually peeling off layers um, of an onion is a much more apt um, metaphor because when we think of growth we think of like going to somewhere that we aren't Um, and it can feel overwhelming it can actually feel degrading in a way it's like where I'm at right now isn't good enough and actually it's the opposite of that it's a remembering of who you truly are and what your true nature is and what your higher self is and that thing is always there it's just that we've become so bogged down with stories there's so many analogies um you know looking in a mirror when it's covered in dust you need to clean the mirror so that you can see yourself clearly um the other one i like is the clouds um rolling by as the stories whereas you are the infinite blue sky and so attachment to things that come and go um these stories our fears our traumas they're not serving us so instead of looking at the situation as somewhere that you need to be it's actually a remembering um but what you need to grow is really up to you because the modality itself isn't as important as your relationship to it for example ayahuasca um, plant medicine can be powerful catalyst for growth and self-awareness and transformation but i personally know people who use it as a total escape and an addiction so the thing itself isn't the most important aspect of how you're going to grow it really depends on what your relationship to the thing is and what you feel called to as a modality to grow will depend on where you're at and what you need some of the things that have shifted me and inspired me over the years um, include water fasting uh, microdosing and macrodosing psilocybin, vipassana retreats and meditation in general, various different types, um, childhood trauma healing and shadow integration work, uh, pretty massive, I think non-negotiables really, um, physical body work, including like more, more esoteric stuff like shamanic massage and chakra healing, but also very physical hands-on stuff like rolfing and just deep tissue massage. Sweat lodges, journaling, there's so many different things. Um, Some of these modalities I've actually outgrown, like water fasting, uh, for example, which played such a huge role in my path, in my career, in my clarity, healing the physical body, But where I'm at now, it's actually become a burden. It doesn't feel intuitive or natural anymore. I'm really prioritizing and honoring uh, the feminine and the nature of my reproductive body in these reproductive years. So that's, yeah, that's a perfect example of something that can hurt or help depending on your relationship to it. So it did serve its purpose but it no longer does for me in terms of healing. It may again one day, but who knows. Um, 
the other way I could answer this question, I guess, is to... There's two ways, I guess. To spend time with family, like a block of maybe one to two weeks, go live with your parents. Or get into a romantic relationship. Um, when we're in close proximity to people that we love, all of the proverbial shit comes to the surface. In the case of family, it's a lifetime or probably many lifetimes of highs and lows and we project our entire relationship with these people onto every situation we experience with them. So it might seem like something insignificant, an interaction, but the way that we react to that moment, that present moment, comes with the baggage of lifetimes of relations with this person. And so that gives us a lot of opportunities to reflect on our shadow and the things that may need integrating, uh, to reflect on our pain and trauma that we may need healing, and to reflect on our self-worth that may require us to set boundaries. And same goes for romantic relationships. It brings to the surface all of our subconscious fears and programming, um, commonly fear of abandonment, unworthiness, codependency, enmeshment, etc. And the work really lies in examining how we show up to these dynamics and the ways in which we project our fears and trauma onto others um, and how we have to learn how to set boundaries. These boundaries are ultimately rooted in self-worth. Um, they're the things that we're not willing to accept knowing that we're worthy of more. So working on yourself, isolated, single, celibate, or in a monastery is the easy work, really. Not that it's easy, but relatively um, easier. It's integrating these lessons and the self-awareness when you stand to lose everything. For example, in a romantic relationship, that is the true test of your work, of equanimity, of compassion, of forgiveness, and of unconditional love. So depending on where you're at, you may need to do the work on yourself, uh, by yourself first, especially if you find yourself being so often triggered. Um, for me, this is actually kind of a good metric. If you find yourself getting triggered by strangers, then odds are you probably need some introspective time alone to really examine yourself. Um, and your relationship to yourself and your traumas and your pain and all that stuff. Um, once you've reached a point where strangers no longer trigger you, then you can take the step um, up into like a romantic relationship or really facing the stuff within the dynamic of your family. Um, I think that's a pretty good guideline to know if you're ready in air quotes to do the work within the container of a romantic relationship moving on so the question is i meditate daily but i still get triggered af by the people in my life what gives two things uh come to mind so the first is what is your practice uh, and is it enabling equanimity or is it simply distracting or suppressing your emotions? Um, equanimity as a concept isn't about labeling things good or bad and it's not about getting away from the bad and getting closer to the good. Uh, it's about observing life as it is without judgment. And ultimately, that's the freedom. There's a lot of spiritual bypassing in the spiritual world, um, which is basically the concept that you're only supposed to be happy or feel good or be positive, um, only good things, and that the work is getting away from the bad and towards the good. And although that can be useful on the surface because you're living a happier life it's actually quite dangerous because it keeps you caught 
up in the duality of good, bad, right, wrong. And ultimately that only leads to misery because everything's impermanent. So that's where equanimity comes in is that you're not trying to get away from bad things. Um, Triggers are actually a gift because they offer insight into places that you either need to heal, um, where you need to surrender, or where you need to set boundaries to elevate your self-worth. So meditation can actually harm you in a sense if you use it as an escape or as a way to suppress what you're feeling. Triggers can offer you insight into coping mechanisms that you developed um, that are no longer serving you. And you may need other modalities like neuroplasticity work or childhood healing or guidance from a good therapist that can help you unwind those beliefs. Um, My last podcast actually with Geraldine explores this a little bit and she's a great resource for anyone who wants one-on-one guidance. I've been mentored by her for years now and having someone to talk to about things like this gives invaluable perspective because we don't know what we don't know we can't see our own blind spots and so it's very useful to have someone else's opinion on what we may be doing that isn't serving us knowing ultimately that you are um driving your car so everything's just perspective but to enter these relationships really with an open mind an open heart um with healing um as your ultimate goal um so yeah the more work you do meditation included these triggers triggers should soften and definitely change um like i said in the last question if everyone's triggering you, like you're, you're going, you know, to the shops and the little things that people do in the aisles or at the checkout or on the road, people who you don't know, if they're triggering you, then there's probably a whole lot of onion layers to unpeel. Um, the more work you do, if the work is actually serving you, because not all meditation is created equal, not all healing modalities are created equal. The more work you do, the more these triggers soften and the more uh, they become they become closer and closer to your heart. So for example, romantic relationships are definitely where the deepest work is because um, they just bring up the, the most deep-rooted of our subconscious fears of abandonment and worth and all that stuff. Um, whenever love is involved... There's the greatest fear of loss. Um, yeah, but this is this is the tantric way. It's about honoring what is, and that in time, the more you observe these things without trying to get rid of them, the less power and the less energy that they have, and the more distance you create, and then ultimately they naturally fall away. Um, I feel this in so many aspects of my life, uh, alcohol, party drugs, even junk food. If you have this notion that things are bad, for example, junk food, um, and I guess even the word junk food is so relative, but, um, processed candy bars with refined sugars and all the, you know, vegetable oils or real bad stuff that you get at the at the petrol station so those played a role in my diet for a very long time long before i had the awareness of nutrition i was consuming them and then um i developed the awareness that they were in air quotes bad for me and then there was this struggle for so many years of i shouldn't eat this it's not good for me and it's like the good bad divide instead of approaching the situation um, from a place of, of self-worth, love, awareness, where in time, that kind of stuff just is no longer in your, in your, it's just not even a thing. Like, oh, oh, not in a million years would I ever even think of 
crave or want something like that because it's so low vibration it's just not even in my field of awareness anymore but it didn't happen by willing myself against them there was no resistance when there's resistance to the thing when you think the thing is bad and that you shouldn't want it because it's just bad it only creates uh, more desire it's about observing the thing observing your relationship to the thing um and in that distance in that space in the breath like in the space in between the breath you start to have an awareness about the things that are serving you or are not serving you and yeah there's often work to do there just observing is is major um but we are having a human experience and there's often things that we need to unwind within ourselves that require a little bit of work. Um, yeah, ultimately I think it's pretty important to make your way towards a form of meditation that doesn't rely on distractions. Even uh, pranayama, even mantras, like if you're, if you're using them to escape what it is that you're feeling like if you're feeling angry and your mantra is i am happy i am happy i am happy you're not living in reality and samadhi enlightenment your true higher self your true nature doesn't judge things for being good or bad it just observes so just be painfully honest with yourself about the meditation practice or any healing practice that you have and how much of it is rooted in non-acceptance um yeah even this like the irony is just so built into it it's like if you have a bad meditation in air quotes bad do you judge yourself like do you think oh that was such a bad meditation i had a terrible meditation because that's the antithesis of meditation the goal is just to observe. So even if you sit down for a 20-minute meditation in the morning and your mind is all over the place, you're thinking about the craziest stuff, you're you're thinking about the your coworker who wronged you, you're thinking about this and that, and the person who cut you off in traffic, and it's just like a shit show in your mind for 20 minutes. If you can finish the 20 minutes and not judge yourself for having a crazy ass chattery monkey mind for 20 minutes then you win like you did it you have to not judge what is happening and just observe that's that's the the basis and the framework of what meditation is supposed to offer you ultimately is non-judgment and non-attachment to what is and so even if in the moment you're all over the map don't judge yourself for it because it's only going to reinforce um, the attachment to your beliefs as being who you are. And you're trying to distance yourself from that. You're trying to just observe, not attach. Um, and also, don't if you are currently judging yourself for having a bad meditation, don't judge the fact that you're judging yourself. Like that's just it's a never-ending loop. Um, the sooner that you can. Just be like, okay, wow, well, you know, that that was intense. I didn't really, I had no stillness during that time, but that's okay. You know, it is what it is. Your job is done. So I finished that question, but I hit record again because I actually thought I'd share a quote that um, I read this morning and is relevant to that question about getting triggered. Um... So triggers, I mean, they come up for so many different reasons, but one reason is definitely judgment um, about the way we think people should behave versus how they are behaving. And the quote is, judgment is so addictive because it relieves us from our internal struggle with shame. And... Mm, Uh, it's just so true um actually before i get to the next question i thought i'd share a quote that um i read this morning and is relevant to that last question and is pretty profound in my opinion so it is that 
judgment is so addictive because it relieves us from our internal struggle with shame. So maybe write that down if you feel inclined to and sit with it for a bit because it's definitely given me a lot of perspective. I think compassion is an obvious example is that we expect other people to navigate in a compassionate way and when they don't we call them rude or mean Um, but at its core we're looking for people to be compassionate but by judging them we're actually lacking compassion for the fact that they're having a human experience filled with their own pain and heartbreak and trauma and low self-worth and so before pointing the finger at the lack in character or compassion or love or forgiveness for everyone anyone else um, built into judging them is our own lack of compassion forgiveness and unconditional love Um, yeah okay for the last question um, this is a massive topic that I'm only relatively recently um, understanding and exploring so I'll give you a bit of the lowdown and it's something that I would like to delve deeper in at some point soon because it is uh, amazing it's amazing work Um, So the question is, what is shadow work? And basically, so shadow, your shadow is the stuff you don't like about yourself. Um, And shadow work is about honoring all the aspects of yourself, good and bad. And the word integration is often used because with the things that we don't like about ourselves, we have to actually integrate them and allow them to be and not judge them and the non-judgment comes from the bad and the good we can't either cling to the good things that we do think or say as being who we are because we're capable of both good and bad Um, and just like equanimity when it comes to situations that we think are good and bad the things that we are the things that we it's not even the things that we are, it's the things that we are experiencing within ourselves um, are impermanent too. So we have this tendency to take all of our best characteristics, our most noble thoughts, you know, our kind words and our good deeds, and we like to think that's who I am. I'm a good person. And we try to hide the parts of us that don't fit into this narrative of the conventionally and socially praised behaviors like being selfish or rude or cold or impatient or sad or depressed or scared. Um, We're constantly being told from a very young age that you have to be kind and nice and warm and patient and happy. And although the second list generally brings more joy theoretically it actually doesn't in the long run because either of these polarities of conventionally good or bad um, thoughts words or behaviors um, they're both impermanent states of being um, that come and go based on the experiences that we project our beliefs onto so if you do everything you can to get rid of the bad sensations and you're craving the good sensations, which will pass too because everything is impermanent. Um, By clinging to being happy, good, kind, patient all of the time, you're going to feel like a failure when you don't maintain these things 100% of the time, which you're having a human experience. You're going to fail at them. And the freedom is in living above the duality that is what samadhi is it's like pure meditative consciousness where you no longer project judgment onto things as being black and white good or bad love and hate it's just everything just is and naturally as you distance yourself from these things the highs and lows 
disappear and you actually do find a deep intrinsic joy but it's not the joy that comes from extremes it's like it's the freedom and the inner peace that you get from just observing the world as it is and fake spirituality or spiritual bypassing again teaches you to suppress the bad shit Um, but this just creates pressure to the point where one day you explode if you're never honoring your shadow as a part of yourself that's when you one day um, well that's when addiction also creeps in it's like this escape that you have from facing yourself and the power lies in the awareness that you are whole and complete in all aspects of your being um, and that actually we lose control only when we fail to honor the shadow and integrate the shadow and so shadow work is just about integrating all the aspects of your being and welcoming them and then not attaching yourself to anything be it the good or the bad um because both come and go and neither of them are your true self they're just layers of your ego these stories that you tell yourself about the things that you are um when the things that you think speak and do are not who you are they're things that you're experiencing i'll read you a short excerpt from osho's book tantra the supreme understanding um it's from the chapter the pathless path and it's oh i'm just loving it i'm this book is gold um okay only one thing when a thought comes remain a witness look at it Observe it. Allow it to pass your being, but don't get attached to it in any way, for or against. It may be a bad thought, a thought to kill somebody. Don't push it away. Don't say, this is a bad thought. The moment that you say something about the thought, you have become attached. You are distracted. Now this thought will lead you to many things, from one thought to another. A good thought comes, a compassionate thought. Don't say, ah, so beautiful. I am a great saint. Such beautiful thoughts are coming to me that I would like to give salvation to the whole world. I would like to liberate everybody. Don't say that. Good or bad, remain a witness. Still, in the beginning, you will be distracted many times. Then what to do? You will be distracted. Be distracted. Don't be too worried about it. Otherwise, that worry will become an obsession. Be distracted. For a few minutes, you will be distracted. Then suddenly, you will remember, I am distracted. And it is okay. Come back. Don't feel depressed. Don't say, it was bad I was distracted. Again, you are creating a dualism, bad and good. Distracted, okay. Accept it and come back. Even with distraction, you don't create a conflict. Distracted, the moment you remember, the moment this attention comes to you that I have been distracted, come back. That's all. Don't create any conflict. Don't say that was bad. Don't feel depressed, frustrated, or that you have to be distracted again. Nothing is wrong in distraction. Enjoy it also. If you can enjoy the distraction, it will happen less and less to you. And a day will come where there is no distraction. But this is not a victory. You have not pushed the distracting trends from your mind deep into the unconscious. No, you allowed it also. It too is good. This is the mind of Tantra, that everything is good and holy. Even if there is distraction, somehow it is needed. You may not be aware why it is needed. Somehow, though, it is needed. If you can feel good about everything that happens in you, only then are you following the royal path. If you start fighting with anything whatsoever, you have fallen from the royal path and you have become an ordinary soldier, a warrior. This book follows the the story between Naropa and his guru Tilopa and um, Osho breaks down the story throughout the whole book and related to that uh, explanation is the part of the story that goes to transcend duality is the kingly view to conquer distractions is the royal practice the path of no practice is the way of all Buddhas and yeah it's just to me it's so profound is the acceptance of what is even if what is doesn't fit into the narrative of society's um story society's narrative and 
from ex- from experience, you know, if you suppress things, they will bubble up. There's no way around it. If you get so good at suppressing things in your waking life, um, they'll come up in your dreams. <laughs> I know when I was fasting, you, you when you remove all food from your diet, I, I was water fasting for many years on and off and on the longer fast between seven and 14 days, I start dreaming of junk food that I don't even consume in my normal life. And it's that polarity. It's like if you remove the thing from your uh, life, in this case, food, it came back tenfold in my dreams. The things I was dreaming about was like candy and those like junky chocolate bars that I don't even like anymore but the more you suppress the thing the more it pops up in a much more dangerous and out of control way and so basically shadow work is about not running from the duality it's living in the space above it and to reach that space um, of total surrender all you can do is take steps back little by little and become the observer in your life which is why meditation is so powerful really is that it just gives you a little bit of distance to observe the thoughts as they come and go. And the newer your practices, the more thoughts are going to come. But in time, uh, you find that space, the space between the breath. Um, and that's where the power lies. That's where the freedom is. Okay, that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed and that some of those answers gave you insight into your own life or inspired you in some way and i am so looking forward to talking to you again soon thank you for welcoming me into your life and your ears and your mind Um, i hope you have a beautiful day